There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 962. Um, hey, I had mentioned this a couple days ago, but uh, just want to keep keep spouting it out there that I'm going to be in Seattle performing at the Neptune uh, in October on the 26th. That's a Friday. That is Halloween weekend. I want to do some kind of Halloween-y thing um, because that's that's a weekend you'd be celebrating your Halloween. So come partially celebrate with me at the shows. Uh, so come, we'll do some maybe uh, uh, some light Halloween costume contest and maybe give away some candy, package candy. No razor blades with apples. Did that ever happen to anyone? I don't think anyone ever actually got an apple with a razor blade in it. Was that just a weird thing parents warned us about when I was a kid like that? And how playing a record backwards would, uh, had demonic messages? By the way, we've really lost the art of backward masking on albums. That's the one thing that the digital music revolution has killed. Although I'm sure there's a way that we can still backward mask uh, with our with our digital tracks. <laughs> Let's get on that, demonists. I'm probably saying this because in the background right now on mute uh, is Supernatural. So I've put Supernatural on mute uh, to record this intro. So maybe I'm a demon hunter or maybe I'm a demon. Who knows? Only Sam and Dean know. Uh, but... Get tickets at Ticketmaster.com and uh, just put my name in there and come to the show. Uh, this episode is Gillian Jacobs, who, by the way, Will Wheaton, it pronounces the G the correct way. Hard G. No shade to any soft G Jillians out there, who it, like my sister-in-law, who's a Jillian. But, but Gillian, hard G. Just want to drive it home for the Wheaton. All right. Hard G Gillian, soft J Jacobs. All right, good. Uh, Gillian, who is an amazing performer and brilliant comedy mind, uh, is promoting her new Netflix film, Ibiza, which is how they say it overseas. Hey, maybe that, maybe that's, maybe I need to find a British Will Wheaton and we can do the Ibiza, Ibiza, uh, debate. Soft Z, hard Z. (laughs) Let's, let's get, let's get British, let's get European nerds mad about that one. Uh, Anyway, Ibiza is available May 25th on Netflix and also her show Love, which is also streaming on Netflix and pretty much any damn thing Gillian Jacobs does because she's rad. Now let's do a quick corkboard uh, for you, the ID10T community. Troy Bancroft says, about four years when brother and I started a thing called the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. Ooh, I like it already. Tom and I are animators, directors who work Disney on films like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, and Mulan, which I co-directed and was my brother's boss. He hates it when I say that. Aww, I love that. Hey, you know who else has a little bit of a sibling rivalry but also love each other? The Winchester Brothers. That's right, Supernatural's still on. Uh, anyway, 
They, uh, these brothers talk about the art and the business of animation from the insider's point of view of 30 years in the industry. The goal is to give back to the next generation of creators and animators by making a show that is entertaining, inspirational, and educational. They interview top talent for animation like Brad Pitt, Pete Docter, Glenn Keane, Eric Goldberg, Brittany Lee, Brenda Chapman, and many, many more. It's on iTunes, streams online at taughtbyapro.com, the Bankrupt Brothers Animation Podcast. Also, Kayla Arwood writes, My partner and I are part of Lafayette, Louisiana's premier burlesque troupe, Boom Boom Burlesque. We're directing a benefit show for Acadiana Animal Aid. I hope I didn't mess that up. Uh, a local nonprofit organization on June 30th of this event will have burlesque dancers body painted as cats doing cat-themed acts. And there will also be adoptable kitties. Uh, we are in the process of collecting donations to defray the cost of hiring artists and renting the venue. After cost, 100% of donations and ticket sales will go to this incredible organization. To donate, you can go to Eventbrite and search Cat Cafe. Uh, also, this episode brought to you by Spotify. Did you know that every single episode of the ID10T slash Nerdist Podcast is now on Spotify? Yes, you are correct, my friend. The same app with millions of songs and a bunch of your playlists that you share with your friends and also also has thousands of podcasts. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite shows. You can discover new ones, whatever you want. Subscribe to our show. Just search for the show, ID10T. Tap follow and get every new episode delivered to you just like it was a music thing. Podcasts on Spotify streaming right now. Now. And now. And also now. But uh, go do it after you listen to this episode of the ID10T Podcast, which is number 962, with the fantastic Gillian Jacobs. Katie, roll the thing. Initiating ID10T Protocol. bought a place in Eagle Rock to work out of. Yeah. And um, and there was a, a really cool old Spanish house in Beverly Hills that I salvaged some stuff from mm-hmm. that someone was just going to fucking rip it down. And it was this just charming. Yeah. But, you know, these people come in and they, they take up every fucking square inch of the lot size mm-hmm. with their stupid piece of shit house that's going to look dumb in five years. Yes. I mean, it looks dumb now, but it it's going to look worse in five years. It looks even worse. Yeah, I know. I know. And then it's like, and then also they're building those McMansions next to bungalows. So for the people in the bungalow, it's just like people staring down at them. Like you have no yeah, privacy anymore. You have no backyard. Yeah. It's really awful. I guess maybe a few years, uh, I don't know, probably like 10 years ago, Lydia first came to LA. She looked at a house and I don't, might have been like a ginger, I don't know if it was like a ginger Rogers house, mm-hmm. but it was someone like that. And she loved it, but was like, oh, I'm just not ready to buy a house yet. Yeah. And then a few oh, no. years later, she kind of thought she was, so that she saw pictures of that house was on the market again, and some asshole had just modernized inside, like ripped out every <sighs> really adorable yes. detail and just fucking like white marble. It's just like modernized I, everything. So and she, she, she <laughs> it's one of those things you're like, you, this person should not be allowed to buy. I mean, you can yeah. obviously you can do whatever you want with a house, but no. don't buy an old house if you don't want I an know. old charming house. Well, it's like in West Adams too. You'll see this house on the outside, and then you walk in, and they've done a horrible like flipper uh, redo, and you're like, you ripped out the whole purpose of this house. Yeah, 
ruining history on yeah, H- it's I like know. an HGTV show. Yeah, I know that would be like I'm sure there'd be one with like millions of viewers that was like celebrating like as I'd be crying they're ripping out like the Biltons. Yeah, I mean it you know the the other house that I bought was um we're trying to get historical designation for it but mm-hmm. the reason the owner the guy sold it to me he was like just Promise me that you won't tear the house down yeah. or divide up the property. Yeah. And I said, I won't, no. you know, of course. Because it, it really, I was, he was in a position where he could hold out yeah. until someone was going to not fuck everything up. Yeah. Um, and so, but most people just, you know, they, if they have to sell, they have to sell. Yeah. And then it just, things just get destroyed. Ugh. Uh, but anyway, on a happier note, on a happier note, you got this one. Yes. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. It's been, it's been fun. And I, I honestly, um, I don't know why the, the process of going through kind of like going through the renovation is, is strenuous, but there's something exhilarating about it. Yeah. And it's really only because. You get excited like once it's done. Yes. Yeah. Well, it looks great. Have you done that? Have you done it before? No. This is going to be my first time. So. All right. Yeah. Do you know what you want to do? Yeah. So basically the previous alien lived there for like 40 years. So undo everything she did. Mm -hmm. Try to get it back. Like the kitchen bathrooms closer to period without doing like a exact, you know. Right. 20s. But just closer to what it would have looked like because yeah. all of her choices were wild <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you start you know you'll start doing stuff and you'll open up the walls and yep. you'll find out like i buried all my cats in the walls oh, you know yeah. you just find crazy you just don't know what you're well, gonna it was also interesting because she's a she was a realtor but did no like earthquake stuff or any kind of things what I, which I would have thought, like, if she's showing houses every day, she'd know exactly what would be expected. Right. Did none of it. So That's sort of like doctors who smoke. You're yes. Like, you know what the know. rules are. Yeah. Like, didn't bolt the foundation. The chimney shook loose at some point. And they're like, if there's another one, it's going to go straight through the master bedroom. Oh, shit. Yeah. So stuff like that where you're like... What? Are you you're not are you gonna live in it no. while you're doing it? Oh good. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, I don't recommend that. No. No, for as long as I can hold out because we're doing the kitchen and all the bathrooms at once, so I don't know how I could live. I'd have to like I don't know where Bucket? Buckets. Bucket. Yeah. I guess I could bucket it. You could you could bucket it. I hope I don't get to that point. <laughs> well, it's really fun. Just mm-hmm. you know, the only thing I can tell you is that number one, it's good that you're not living in it yeah. while it's happening. Number two, uh, just to be flexible because a, a an alarmingly large percentage of things go wrong. Yes. Where it almost feels like that that, that someone is actively mm-hmm pulling a bunch of things together in concert to go wrong where it's like something will get tiled upside down and then yeah. you'll get a toilet. It's like, well, where's the handle? Oh, I guess they didn't come. And then this, oh, this didn't work. And then yeah. that, oh, and then it rained. And then that fucked that up. I mean, like, so you really have to. Almost as though people are making more money the longer it takes. Almost the way, <laughs> that's almost how it works. Uh, so just, you know, try not to, try to be as patient as yes. you can because it will, Stretch your, you oh, know, yeah. and then weeks will go by and you're like, well, I thought this was supposed to be, yeah. how come this isn't done? Oh, you know. we're Oh, we're just waiting on that and it's in back order. I should go back and watch The Money Pit again. I loved that movie when I was a kid, but I don't now... think I can watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can watch it yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, because they were kind of swindled by an old lady. who was in... Oh, <laughs> damn it. Fuck. And you... <laughs> 
There's. I can always just sell you it. You kind of got this Shelly Long oh, vibe. Oh, no. You know, like there's a. Oh, no. I'm hoping for more Troop Beverly Hills. <laughs> that was also, you know, I kind of like that movie. I love that movie. I really, she's in something now, and I can't remember what it is, but I saw her name in the credit of something. And she's someone that I was always like, why doesn't she work always? She's brilliant and funny and amazing. I don't have a good answer for that. Do you think you'll ever get to a point where you're like, I just don't want to do any, I don't want to work for a while. Just leave me alone. (laughs) I don't want to do this. I could see myself like taking a break from acting. But doing, I want to do something in this business. Well, you di- you've been, you've directed. I directed a short documentary. I'm trying to make more. Yeah, and trying to start producing things. You know, it's like it's hard when you're a performer and that's your whole career is being given permission to do the thing you want to do. That's exactly right. I always, I always think of it like, you know, for people, I, I for people who don't, you know, write or produce or do stand up or anything else, I think to just be an actor to me is so terrifying yeah. because I just feel like I'm a piece of kelp that's floating around and maybe I'll float into the right boat or there are <laughs> someone who'll pick me out, you know, yep. but I don't I feel like I there's just you just don't have any you have zero almost zero control. That's it's so true. And he, you sort of think that like, oh, once I hit this certain level of whatever marker I've given myself, it'll get better. And it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Then, then the marker just keeps moving. So, yeah. I have to – like even if none of these things ever come to any fruition, just to be like using a different part of my brain. Right. You know, and I've been trying to write more um, – not like a scripted things, but I've like done some articles and personal essays and interviewed people for magazines and things like that just to try out different skills. Yeah, you never know what the view is going to be like once you climb to a different place and you go, oh, I didn't know. Because, you know, you you probably thought, uh, oh, wow, getting on a successful comedy show. I mean, mm-hmm. that's probably like the ultimate. That's a cool. And then you get there like, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this is the like there's more. There's yeah. more I want to do or the, I don't know. I and don't... then I was on a comedy show that was on the verge of cancellation week to week. So it, was, <laughs> it was hard to feel safe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We eked out six years. I don't know how. But but still, like, you're, still, you're still going to do the movie, though, right? Isn't I it know, six seasons right? Movie? I know. Where, well, Dan, what are you doing? <laughs> were you? I feel like you were on the panel, right? Where uh, heart? Where was we did at Comic Con the community panel? I went every time community was at Comic Con. I and was there. Harmon came out in the Iron Man thing, uh-huh. and then Dino Stamatopoulos from the audience said, "So I guess unfuck Sony now, right, Dan?" And Dan was like, "Uh, thanks, Dino." Thanks a lot. Yeah, Rob Schraub made him that outfit, that costume he was wearing. It that was, was a good a, one. That was a good Iron Man costume. It was a really good one. I mean, it's it that is an interesting, very specific journey too, because you think uh, it again. It's hard to ever feel safe, but then to really know, like, oh, we're legitimately like, oh, yeah, this could just all this at any second. Who who knows? Thank God, NBC was imploding as a network while we were on or I don't think we would have lasted nearly as long I had a running list on my phone at one point of all the comedies that had premiered and been cancelled since we'd been on the air for years we were the newest returning show like right. because everything that they tried after us would just get cancelled and I can't remember what finally stuck but it was like well I guess we'll just renew community again <laughs> that's hilarious yeah it was a weird time our first season was the year of the whole, like, Jay Leno-Conan debacle. 
And oh, so they wow. didn't even like promote our show because they put all of their money into promoting the Jay Leno show, which right. was that thing they gave him after they kicked him off the Tonight Show. Right. So we got like zero promotion our first year. And then every other year, they're like, well, we got to promote the fr- freshman show. So we can't give you any money. We we're like, but we were a freshman show once and we never got anything. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> nice try. Yeah. That's, you know, community. I think when people sort of look back at the the history of television, it kind of had that thing like Freaks and Geeks where I was like, oh, everyone went on to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Like everyone yeah. is still uh, still working. Yeah. Ex, you know, maybe not Chevy, but but every <laughs> <laughs> but everyone is still. I mean, if you know, maybe if you wanted to work, I don't know, but <laughs> but it, but it seems like everyone is uh, everyone went on to do is going on to do amazing things, and I imagine will continue to do amazing. things. Yeah, the the Russo brothers and Dan did a great job at casting the show. I mean, like I knew I only knew who Joel and Chevy were when we went in. Um, and we had John Oliver in our pilot. I mean, like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, they did an incredible job with that cast. Obviously, uh, a vet's on a show. Yes. A vet's on Mom now. I think. Yeah, and she just did a pilot. Allison's got Glow. Danny's doing a show for YouTube. Donald's is barely working. Is he? Yeah, he's not really. He's a, did it? Wait, I think he'll be okay. He had some sort of fledgling music thing that he was doing, I don't know. and then maybe I, he's, know, he's on some space movie now. It, it'll be fine. Yeah, I guess. stop worrying about him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is kind of it is really amazing just to see just to see how it's all how it's all played out. Yeah. But is it you know? So once you come off a show like that, and it probably feels like you were just dragged through gravel and like, <laughs> emotionally. Yes. I mean, is it? Are you are you hesitant to work in television again, or do you do you feel like? You know, like I need a minute to decompress or or I need to just start working on other stuff as quickly as possible to try to keep momentum going. Well, it was an interesting thing because when we got canceled by NBC, um, I very quickly got offered love. And then we got uncanceled by Yahoo after I'd been offered love. So then I was worried I couldn't do love anymore because of this sixth season on Yahoo. But they waited for me. So I had no break from Community into Love. I went like I had maybe like two weeks off and went straight into another show. Oh, wow. But now that love is over, I am actually like taking a break. And I I think I will want to do another TV show again. But I'm sort of giving myself a little bit of time after like nine continuous years of being on television. That's incredible. Yeah. To be like, what do what do I want to do? Who but am I, I? Who am I? Who am, that's really <laughs> what I'm working on uh, in therapy a lot. Um, but, that's that's the you know that's that's the big question, and yeah. it's a question that you. I feel like, well, I don't think your your brain isn't quite, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but your brain isn't fully wired until your mid to late twenties. Mm-hmm. Fully wired, yeah. To where you would really start to have the presence of mind to even start asking those, like, really, really deep existential... Not not that people before that can't ask those questions, but I just mean, like, it really hits you in your yeah. late 20s and your early 30s. And then it then it's the, who, do, who am I going to be now for the mm-hmm. rest of my life? Who, you know, who are my friends now? And yeah. does any of this make sense anymore? I know. And also when you are on a show like Community, which completely consumes your life you don't have a lot of time to think. Right. You know, so it was a nice distraction of not really having the 
time or space to think about anything larger because we were just there all day every day so does was is directing part of the plan in the immediate future do you already know some of the other stuff you want to do i'm gonna direct a short film for refinery 29 cool yeah so i'll be doing that soon and i've been really trying to make more documentaries about women in technology so oh that's amazing yeah it's been really hard i came really close and it fell apart at the last minute. It was very painful, but um, I keep trying. So in the meantime, like um, I interviewed this woman, Jean Samet, for Glamour last year, who I met and was, I think, one of the oldest women left from like the very earliest days of computing started at IBM in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And so I got to inter- interview for her for Glamour, and then she passed away like a month after oh the interview came out. So that was it, – well, it was amazing because I was supposed to – she was insistent that I fly to her in Maryland and that I interview her in person. And so the day before I was supposed to go, I went to my doctor, and he was like, you cannot fly. You have a cold – you could kill her, like, with this cold. And so I had to call her and be like, Jean, I know I'm supposed to fly tomorrow, but my doctor says I can't. Is there any way I can interview you over the phone? Because she was, like, insistent that it had to be in person. She's like, well, I don't know. I don't think this is going to go very well. I've never- oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, so resistant to it. But then we ended up talking for, like, three hours on the phone. I, she was so- I think she was just shocked that I actually knew anything about her and her career that I'd done my research. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's because I think she was like, who's this actress that wants to talk to me about computing in the 1950s and, you know, working on the COBOL committee? But uh, I think once she realized that I actually knew some things about her, she opened up and we talked for hours. Did you see the Hedy Lamarr documentary? I was interviewed for the Hedy Lamarr documentary. We just watched it. I got cut, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Good, because I was cut. I'm glad I didn't just space you from the documentary. No, 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 yeah, but yes, the, I can't wait to see it because I'd been trying to, you know, do something about Hedy Lamar, and then I found out they were doing it, and it seemed like they'd done some incredible research and had, like, new, you know, interviews and footage and everything of her, so I can't wait to see it. It's really great. Yeah. And it, and it also, um, just sort of seeing the, sort of the two sides of she basically just accidentally is just this gorgeous starlet. Yeah. And then struggle with the fact that no one would ever see her as anything more than that. And then particularly, you know, between that and then you watch like the Betty and Joan documentary, I mean, the Betty, not documentary, the Betty, <laughs> the Betty and Joan series on FX. And then you just see what, you know, like the incredibly toxic business was doing to young, to actresses at the time. And yes. then, and they all, it seems like there's so many stories of how they all kind of went a little crazy mm-hmm. in the same way. From being, you know, just like years and years of emotional abuse and pressure and just, you know, being uh, belittled and brushed aside. And, you know, and here's this woman who, who would have knows what could have happened if someone had actually taken her seriously. Yes, either in her acting career or in her inventing. That's exactly right. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly right. I know, I know. The, the, you know, what I've read about her and I think a lot of actresses, you know, like you're at the beck and call of someone like Louis B. Mayer and he's going to loan you out or not to another studio depending on how he's feeling. That's right. So she missed out on a lot of parts, I think, that could have done a lot for her at other studios because they wouldn't loan loan her out or they make her do stupid films she didn't want to do. So when I think about how little control I feel like I have, they had even less, you know, and they weren't being paid that 
like she wasn't being paid that much, you know, and then she unfortunately had a lot of bad marriages and divorces and Yeah, it was really sad because she basically was just she had a great relationship with her dad mm-hmm. and she would marry these guys where it was sort of like kind of an older schlubby guy, yeah. you know, with the like one of the biggest starlets in the world. Yeah. And it was like she was just trying to find a connection with a guy and then they all, you know, at least what it seems like is then they all just sort of treated her like, I, you know, oh, your arm candy. Yeah. You know? Meanwhile, she has this really rich internal life going on that just was never allowed to to bear fruit. Um, and it and it does suck that it's it's nice that it seems like people are noticing now like yes. what it was that she did. But I know. Well, that was also why I really wanted to interview Gene Samet because. I think it's important to try and find and celebrate these people while they're still alive. Right. Because I, from what I've read about Hetty, like she got maybe like one honorary and you know award at the end, and I think the she did end end up getting some money for her patent, um, but it not what she should have gotten. And so whatever you know, I can try and do to find some of these people in the STEM world while they're still alive and bring attention to them because people love to write it in memoriam, but I think it's important to talk to them. Right. And for them to, and for a lot of, I'm sure Hetty, you know, felt like there were a lot of, uh, false stories about her or things were portrayed inaccurately. And Jean Samet was very insistent on like things that she felt were inaccurate about how the history of the early computing industry is told. And so I think it's important to also give those people a chance to like tell it in their own words. Right. Yeah. Because they you know, I mean, again, there's literally no outlet for voices back then that were not the people in charge. Yes. There was just no way, like how do you get your story out if someone in charge is suppressing it or just has more connections or just can, you know, tell a story in a newspaper and just tell it the way that they want to. I mean, yeah. it, it is a it's I mean, it is a, it's a very I feel like it is a very tumultuous time. But I do feel like one of the things that's great is that people at least have uh, the possibility of being heard mm-hmm. in a way that it was there's nothing analogous to it in the in the history yeah. of, of humanity. There, the, there was this computer called the ENIAC, which is at the University of Pennsylvania during World War II, and this group of women, like six women, I think, essentially helped invent the job of computer programmer by working on this computer. Mm-hmm. They were like just thrown in there and told work with it. They didn't even know what it was, and. Um, after it got declassified at the end of the war, they had this big public demonstration. It was a big press day. They invited all these people to document the computer working. And the women are manually operating the computer. You know, it was like almost looked like a switchboard at that point to, um, to program it. And none of them were listed in any of the articles written about it. None of their names were given. And so they were almost in real time removed from the history of this computer and their importance to it was totally dismissed. And um, this woman, Kathy Kleinman, uh, who I've gotten the chance to meet and interview, was really the one like in the 80s who saw a photo of these women with this computer and said, who are they? And she was told, oh, they were models, like show models, like hired. And thankfully they were still alive and she was able to interview all them and make a documentary and really like bring them back to the history of computing as programmers. Um, but yeah, for decades they were just totally dismissed. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, were you, was technology your thing when you were younger? No. <laughs> <Then what? laughs> 
<laughs> what is it about? <laughs> First of all, I want to thank you for your honesty. Uh, and then second of all, what is it about? about uh, you know, it's, stories? it's really weird. It's like a, the, a strange thing where I feel like I've been assigned a passion in life where I really, all I wanted, some of the, Danny Pudi, Ken Jeong made 30 for 30 uh, shorts for ESPN about yeah. sports. And they'd never directed anything previously. And I was like, well, if they can do it, why can't I? And I met Dan Silver, who was the producer of that um, series. And I don't know anything about sports, but I was like, oh, I'll try anyway. And clearly my ideas were really bad. (laughs) So, but, you know, I think he liked me enough for my initiative. And they acquired 538.com. And he said, we want to do a 30 for 30 style series for them about like statistics, tech computing. I want to make one about this woman named Grace Hopper. And I was like, who's Grace Hopper? And it just sort of all went from there. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So when I first, he gave me like a one page biography of her and I couldn't even understand it because it was all like acronyms from computing in the 1950s. I didn't know what any of it meant. And so I just had to sort of teach myself about these early computers like Univac and about these early computer programming languages like COBOL and what a compiler was and all these things so I could start to understand who she was, why she was important, what she did. And so that led me to people like Gene Samet and, you know, but no, I'm not technical at all. But you know what's great about that? And I think the lesson to take away from it is we get so comfortable now. It's People, I think, are less inclined to try new things or step outside whatever their interest bubble is because – we're just being fed stuff all the time. It's like, you like this, you'll like this too. You're already like this, here's this, here's this. And I think people aren't necessarily as motivated to go, oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go think, I'm going to go see what that thing is over there or I'm going to go try. I, it feels like I would hate that. So yeah. I feel like I need to try it just to see. Yeah. Because you could actually, like, like you did, discover, oh my God, I, I never would have ever thought to look at this. I know. And as lucky as I was to go to Juilliard, I, f- I feel like I missed out on that, the collegiate version of that, which is like going to a liberal arts college and taking a class and something you know nothing about and like discovering something. Yeah, I went to a liberal arts college. You were fine. Okay, fine. I have yeah. a very romanticized view of what college is because I didn't get to like go to a real college. Well, I'll tell you, when you're college age, you don't really appreciate it. And you're yes. like, God, I have to take this dumb fucking thing that yeah. I don't really want to do. Yeah, because your brain's not fully formed. <laughs> But, uh, you know, yeah, I went to, I went to UCLA and that was – and then the, but the problem with that is that you're just sort of all over the place. Yeah. And you're not really, you know – I mean, I, I, I hopped around because I didn't know what my major was going to be until the end. And, but what did you major in? I, ultimately, it was philosophy. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I initially was math. And then uh, math for me was too overstructured. And then so I'm like, well, I'll go to the art department because I was a cartoonist. And then the art department was – there was no structure. Yeah. Like I had, I had a sculpture professor who was just would like show up, kind of high and just be like, "Yeah, just make something." <laughs> There's no real syllabus. Just make something, and then everyone will get an A at the end. Like it was just like I was like, "Okay, well, I feel like I need a little more structure." Yeah. Than that. And then, so I went to the philosophy department, which basically said, "What is structure?" So <laughs> you know, like I centered in the middle of campus. Uh, but but I don't think um, I don't know. It, it's the the liberal arts education makes sense. 
in a to me in a world where we don't have the internet mm-hmm. where you can find out anything about anything you yeah. know it f- sort of feels like a slightly antiquated model of like hey you're from a small town you'd never have access to any of these things yeah. but now I don't know I mean I'm not shitting on it but I just <laughs> I think it was I think it was cool that you went to a very hyper focused It was I mean it helped me a lot but it was it, I I went actually went and took academic classes the summer between my freshman year and my sophomore year of college just to be like in a lecture hall and in a study group and be on a campus and have that experience briefly. Yeah, because at least, you know, that gives you some focus. I feel like what I lacked in college was any, I didn't know, I just focused, no focus. I didn't didn't know because it was just so overwhelming. We didn't even get to choose our electives at Juilliard. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yes. Was it Juilliard for acting? (laughs) For acting, yeah. Damn. Yeah. Because our schedule was so tight that they're like, this is the only elective you can take, so you're all taking this elective. Oh, my God. Which What was it? It was like humanities. Oh, you know? gotcha. So, yeah, and the, the musicians at Juilliard are allowed to take classes at Columbia, but the actors weren't. So I also went in, having heard about this, I was like, I can take classes at Columbia. And they're like, nope. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I... Get like, used to that as an actor. You won't have any control over anything. It's a good It's a good training. Yeah, so I went and took, I took a pre-Socratic Greek philosophy course one summer. I took like just random academic classes just to do something else for a few weeks. Did you complete your course at Juilliard? I did. I got through. I white-knuckled it through. They wanted to kick me out my sophomore year. They didn't, and I I managed to graduate somehow. (laughs) And then you would go on to use that experience in your time on Community. Oh, my God. I almost... (laughs) It was the exact same. I mean, I guess in that, Juilliard's very small, so I was sort of stuck in a room for four years with a small group of people, which is sort of like community. That's incredible, though. I mean, is, is Juilliard, I, th- I think people probably have a, lot, a very romantic idea of, mm-hmm. of what it is. To me, I just think you're in these classical buildings and yeah. every room is someone playing a cello. And it's... That, it is that. I mean, <laughs> it is that. It's in Lincoln Center. It's got that kind of like stately architecture of Lincoln Center. In our dorms, there were two practice rooms on every floor and you would hear incredible musicians playing the piano or whatever violin viola cello so that was true that was a part of it but it was also just like um everyone's just so stressed out all the time i didn't really have a lot of fun there you know and i think at its best like it should be joyous whatever if it's music or dance or acting there should be some element of joy to it and i did not feel that a lot there yeah i mean that's weird it is interesting that you know we have passions oh i want to do this thing and then we just, oh, just fucking so hard. And then at a certain point you go, oh, I feel like this is supposed to be fun. Yeah. You know, but the process is, is, is grueling and you put a lot of pressure on yourself. Well, it's also that like uh, painful period of going from like being a kid who has a lot of excitement and enthusiasm for something, but no real technique. Mm-hmm. And technique is not fun to learn. Right. But invaluable once you have it. So it's also like the growing pains of like, you have to actually learn how to do what you're doing. So if you wake up one day and don't feel inspired, you can still do your art. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, that is really interesting because it, it, you know, I mean, I think there's also a romantic idea that acting is like, well, you just got to feel the yeah. moment, man, you know, yeah. without really thinking about, I mean, I guess that's the same as like, oh, you want to play the piano? You just got to feel the keys. <laughs> like, no, you got to do scales mm-hmm. and you got to learn that and then you got to figure out, you know, the technical stuff and then you can, it's that, uh, 
I've had the same trainer forever, and he had this really he has this really great thing that he would talk about boxing, and it was um, li- I know I've said this before line speed beauty. Mm. You have to learn the line, then you can then you can do it fast, and then you can make it artful. Wow, you know, but it's just all that's just good. Le- levels of practice. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's really good. You learn the line, and then you learn the speed, and then you learn how to make it beautiful in your own. I just did a play for the first time in like ten years, and I felt like rehearsing it was exactly that process. <laughs> that was exactly the process. There was one point in rehearsal where like, I'm just going to try and say these lines as fast as humanly possible. Yeah. And then figure out where I need to slow down so the audience understands what I'm talking about. Where was the play? It was at the Public Theater in New York. Oh, nice. Yeah. It was great. It was really great. I got to play a lobbyist. It was like very different for me from what I normally play. <laughs> I wore pantsuits. What? Yes. And that's when you just started exclusively wearing pantsuits. Yeah. I decided just to fully become my mother. <laughs> <laughs> is your is your mom a pantsuit gal? She was in her professional life, and it was funny because initially my first fittings they had me in like dresses and skirts and everything. And so I was like, "What if I just wear pants and work separates?" And then they got me this like gray Brooks Brothers suit, and I put it on. I was like, "I am my mother. <laughs> it's happened. I'm here." I didn't know how this was going to happen, but it's we're here. Here we are. Yeah. So I, I perversely enjoyed that. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, because then at the end of the thing, then you could just... <laughs> take it off. Take it off, hang yeah. up the pantsuit, yeah. and then put it in the closet. It's always there. And with my sensible flats, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's when... I think... And that that's the part about getting old that I think isn't so terrible. Mm-hmm. But I think when you start putting comfort above everything else, <laughs> yes. that's where it is. Oh, you know? I've started to make a lot of decisions about my character's footwear based on my foot problems. <laughs> Being like, I feel like this character, too, would never wear heels, no, right? No, no, she no, was, no, she's, she's like, She's like, sandals? Sandals or slippers, I yeah, think. Yeah, sneakers, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Can I fit my orthotics in there? Is that okay? Yeah, alright. Just those five-toed, vibrant oh my God. Uh, monkey boots. That's a good... I mean, that's a character, instant character if you wear those. Like, you really don't have to do anything else. I think a pantsuit with those just <laughs> that would say... That says a lot. That says a lot about a person right off a the bat. A very confused person. I think a very confused... I think that's someone who wants to be type A. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's like, I'm just very efficient. I have these very efficient shoes. I have the pantsuit on. They're like, oh, you don't have to try that hard. Oh, okay. Oh. All or right. you, could do, you could get instant sympathy from the audience if you come in wearing something like that. They would like <laughs> automatically feel bad for you. They would. Yeah. I feel like those didn't catch on. I saw them for a while. Yes. And then I've not seen any in a long time. Maybe they're still out there. I'm sure they are. Maybe they're just out maybe there. not like an LA thing anymore. No, maybe they're just maybe you just find them at like uh, southwestern key parties where it's like you know people are wearing turquoise and loose linens and the and those five toed monkey feet. Oh and, my god! You know because they do a lot of desert hikes. Sure. And you know to keep it interesting, in the middle they, of the key party. Yeah, they partner swap. Oh my god! Uh, at the same time, in their hammocks, there was a lot of hammock partner swapping. Oh my god! Tur- it's, it's like it's just the banging of turquoise up against each other is what that would the, probably sound. Yeah, like. the hammocks might make things interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's the you know I would never partner swap. Ex- but if you throw Not hammocks into the mix, hammocks. if you throw hammocks into the mix, gotta that's be a open. whole other yeah. <laughs> The swinging. Yeah, it's literal swinging. Yes. Yeah, it's literal, literal swinging. I hope I never get to a point. Did you ever... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I'm worried for this sentence. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I was always like, and I remember being younger, and then HBO would do like the real sex documentaries, uh-huh. and like, and you were younger, you were like, oh my god, I'm gonna watch real people like do sexy things, and you'd watch these people, and you're like, I don't want to watch these people have sex. No, you know, it's it was just, just like parts. it's just like old hip, old sweaty hippies, yeah. you know. Just trying to mentally induce orgasms from across a room, just staring at each other. That was <laughs> I when I saw. That episode. They were there was like they were sitting in a circle, a lot of man ponytails and a lot of like jade, and uh, and they were just they were just naked in like semi in like a circle, just like trying to trying to like will a person to have an orgasm. <laughs> yes. So it was a lot of like weird grunting and <clears throat> like it was not nothing about it was was it, anyone having a good time in this I, it, scenario? You know they said they were they're like it's really freeing but it, I... I don't think it was freeing at all and I think it that was you know that can be very damaging for young people who watch that and think they're going to see real sex and go this is what real sex <laughs> is well I don't really need to ever do that at all but I just you know you just like when you when you get to that point in your life you're like ah, I'm gonna you know where where you just accept like I know I when I was younger I thought this thing was dumb but you know now it just makes all the sense in the world <laughs> like. Like a pantsuit. And then you find yourself in a hammock. <laughs> You're in a hammock trying to induce a uh, telekinetic <laughs> orgasm in a person across the yard. Well, I don't know. I mean, do you, do, you, do you – is this business something you think you'll do for the rest of your life or do you kind of go like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, I want to accomplish these handful of things and then at a certain age I'm just going to go – Travel the world or... God, I'm so sedentary that I don't know about the traveling the world. You had me until travel the world. Um, (laughs) I'm just going (laughs) to... Stay in my apartment. Stay in my... I'm going to travel the apartment. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the other thing about like trying to just open my view of myself. So rather than saying absolutely not, who knows? I don't know what I'll want to do. Um... But I think, you know, I was I was intimidated to even, like, write an article, you know, a couple of years ago for, like, Lenny Letter or something like that. I felt like, well, I'm an actor. I can't do that. I'm not a writer. I don't have, like, a, you know, a, I keep going back to the liberal. I really just want that BA. Um, and, just get an honorary. Yeah, I know, right? Um, and so I was scared to even do that. And then I did that, and it went well. And, and so I'm just trying to sort of remove whatever those limitations that I place on myself. So I don't know. Is that, is that is some of that sort of um, society's programming when you're younger or just some of your own issues? Or is there parental stuff or peer group stuff? Like what is it that – like what you know, I'm sure because we all in therapy talk about this shit all the time. Yes. Like what what do you think some of the elements are? And I'm asking for this is for people who feel like they're stuck or people yes. who have who prejudge the same way that yeah. you were doing. I think I've found myself at a lot of uh, tables of mainly writers where they forgot I was there and started like talking about how dumb actors were and like how all their notes were terrible and their ideas oh, are terrible. And then like, we're like, but not you. <laughs> um, so I think it kind of gave me an insecurity of like, uh, uh, that like that, that wasn't my job. And so I shouldn't try it. Right. You know, um, or yeah. And like with writing like TV or whatever, even on like love where, you know, very early on in the show, 
they were like, come to the writer's room. I was like, am I going to be fired? Like, why are they inviting me to the writer's room? I couldn't understand it. And they're like, we want to know your thoughts. And I was like, what? Um, and then we would like finish table reads for the scripts, you know, with a whole room of like writers and everybody. And they would go, Gillian, what are your thoughts? And I was like, what, what is this experience? Like, I couldn't believe that they wanted to hear what I thought of things. So I think I just had a kind of insecurity of like people thinking that, Actors couldn't possibly have like insight into a script or some or any ideas beyond just like something very selfish for their character. Sure. Um, and so I had to sort of like give myself permission to think like maybe I actually could have a good idea about structure or story or another character beyond my own or like have an insight into my character because I've been playing this person week after week and you know. But um, yeah, I think it was probably just hearing the way. Some writers talk about actors. Well, and then also, and then you learn like, oh, the judgiest groups of people is the writers' room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they're the harshest, judgiest. But I have to say, the writers on Love were like so welcoming, and it wasn't lip service. Like I really, truly did feel like they wanted to hear what I had to say. And you know, Paul Rust um, is such a like generous uh, collaborator. So it was that was lovely, and such a sweet guy, and such a sweet guy. Yeah, and so like such a. A lovely, you know, like co-creator lead of a show. You know, it it is. I I kind of like to operate sometimes from the standpoint of like, um, I'm going to try this thing and maybe it'll suck. Yeah, but at least I'll get to try this. You know, at least I'll try this thing. Yeah, and like, you know, I've been also lucky too. Like, I when I've written pieces, had great editors, and so it wasn't like from my draft to just they hit publish, there were, like, people to help me out. So right. it's, like, if if you're trying to apply this to your life, like, find people who are willing to mentor you or help you do the thing you want to do and that no one's going to expect that you are an expert at it right, right away. Well, I think what you said, and I think the whole, like, it's, okay, you know, like, let your, let your just be okay with sucking at something is really just what you said about giving yourself permission to do something without... The, oh, I can't. No, this yeah. is... You know, I feel like people just create rules and barriers out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Like, that if you really started to deconstruct it, like, oh, I guess there's not really any basis in reality. Oh, well, a lot of people say, what people? Well, they're going to... Who's they? You yes. know, like, you just... Those is just all in your head. I feel like part of success is just fucking figuring out how to get out of your own way. Yeah, that's been another big thing with therapy for me is just realizing that um, what feels like like a law of the universe is a decision that I'm making. Right, 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 right. And and obviously that's not everything in the world, but it is probably a higher percentage than most people would would admit to themselves. Yes. Well, I in particular like to create a lot of rules for myself, which (laughs) I then make myself follow. Like I remember there's a story that my uh, grandfather had Alzheimer's and at one point in his dementia, he um, suddenly decided that he had been appointed to a letter opening committee and he would make my grandmother and my dad um, sit and open each piece of mail and read it out loud piece by piece. And they had to do this every single day. And at one point, my grandfather goes, I don't know who appointed me to this committee, but by God, we're going to do a good job. And it's like, how many things do I do like that in my own life? Right. I've created a mail opening committee for myself. Yes, like what aspect of my life where it's like, I I don't, you know, I have to do it like this because that's just the way things are done. And it's like, no, that's just my fear or whatever that is. Well, and obviously it's because, you know, you got hurt at some Mm -hmm. point or you're afraid of getting hurt, you know, and, and it sucks to get hurt, but it also, um, 
you know, it also sucks to be inactive. Yes. Because that's that's more of a long-term hurt. Yeah. You know, that's the hurt of looking back and going... Regret. I could have done this yeah. thing, and I just didn't... You know, I just didn't. Yep. I don't know. I just... I don't know why now, because, you know, those, those, those types of fears are... They're temporary. You, when you look back, I don't know why I was so afraid of I know. that thing. Well, I, I, you know, I'm also now remembering, like, I did this movie with Elizabeth Banks called Walk of Shame, like, years ago. And this was before Pitch Perfect, and she became, like, you know, the mega producer-director that she is now. But I just remember, like, on set, she was, like, always on her phone, always, like, doing these deals and working on things and developing things. And I, that, for me, was also a seed of, like whoa, I could do that. I could do what she's doing, you know? And I just watched how proactive she was and how, but how hard you have to work to do yes. it. And um, so she was like a, a real inspiration to me of just being next to her for a couple of weeks and watching like, oh, she's like taking control of her life and her career in right. a way. And um, obviously like, you know, then Pitch Perfect came out and like huge success. And so... I think people like Liz are really inspiring. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think a lot of people probably have at least, even if it's just one more resource than they were aware, mm -hmm. then they really know that they have, like there's something, I feel like people can have, people have more than they think they have. Yeah. If they can see things in the right way or ask the right questions or, I mean, obviously it's not all cases, but, but in a lot of cases I do think that. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, this is a dumb example, the very stupid example. <laughs> I'm ready but, for it. But it's just sort of the Elon Musk thing of like, oh, well, why couldn't I just make rockets? Uh-huh. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a lot of things. That we, <laughs> if you want to make rockets, that's a lot. I mean, obviously, he had money and he had connections and resources. But, but you know, it wasn't a thing that a lot of people, yeah. you know, like, oh, okay, I guess. And I also feel like just follow your curiosity because right. – like, I felt like as a kid, I got made fun of for my interest in things and my curiosity in things because they were kind of strange or not the norm. Like what? <laughs> Come on. Like George Bernard Shaw. Well, that's or not. I mean, as Chris. a okay, as a kid, Chris. as a kid, that's unique. Yeah, but you know, no, no one else in school is like, did you see the Devil's Disciple? You know what, though, <laughs> at least it, I, you know, that's not weird to the extent of like, I make booger murals. Okay, you know? no, I was not doing anything like that, but I, I was like, I was, I, I was like, genuinely loved Shakespeare mm -hmm. as a child. I loved. What else did I love? Um, I loved oh the miniseries I Claudius. Yep, <laughs> I loved, you know <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, so I mean, like I didn't get a lot of like positive affirmation for these things, but like now that's the things I like, you know. And and I can find other adults who are interested in that now. I have the ability to find seek out people who share my interests. Listen, I <laughs> I the, I should start a Derek Jacoby fan club. I've never thought to do it until you could just do it. Could just, you could just. Do that now. No one's stopping me. No one is stopping you. And now you have the technological resources. Oh you can it create it. So easy. You can create a subreddit. Mm. You could, you know, like there's so many, there's uh. so many things you could do. You could have weekly things. You could I could start a podcast about Fuck, Derek Jack. Of course you could. You or you, you could live stream on Facebook once a week if you wanted to. You could do. Oh there's my no. God. Uh. And then I could get to meet him, right? If in success, then he would have to appear on my show. I think you probably could. He would at the point you're at. Just so you know, you could probably get him on the first episode. Really? I would think so. Come on. And we could call it We Claudius. <laughs> 
Is it the French version? Or you mean we? You mean we? I mean plural because plural, maybe it would because be it's me you and Derek. And yeah, yeah, he'll change the name <laughs> retroactively. I don't see any reason why you. Uh, I don't see any reason why you that, that, that couldn't that could happen. All right, happen. I'm going to work on that. I really, I'm not kidding. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised when you've been working for a while. Who's aware of you, or really? who would go? Of course. Or you know, especially with 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 people with older people too. It's like they'll have an assistant or a young yeah. agent will go. Oh, I'm a big fan. You know, like maybe his agent was a huge fan of Community, or his assistant, yeah. or he has a some relative who's like, "Oh my god, I really want. I love Love is a great show. You should totally talk to this All to right. this woman." All right, I'm gonna believe in myself. I, who's like your number one that you've met that you looked up to? Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it and it um I it was. Twice, and he was great both times. Yeah. Well, the first time I met him, I was very young, and it was at the Aspen Comedy Festival, and I it was in like the 2000 or 2001, and I just freaked out over him, and uh, and he got very closed off and yeah. shy, and fortunately, um, I knew there was no way he was ever going to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's great. So I got to start fresh. Yeah, 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 yeah. He met fresh. you for the first yeah. time. Yeah, for the first time, and he was great. And, um, and it, it, you know, and, and, and the weird thing is I don't think about it too much because mm-hmm. there's part of my brain that can't, doesn't really process a world where he knows who I am and yeah. we've talked like that, that part of it is, you know, I just sort of keep it shut away so that I don't freak out about it. You must have that too. You must have met. No one that's been like a fan of mine or known who I was, but no, I mean like that can't it, be true. Um, uh, no, but yes, it is. It is amazing. Um, to you know, I I don't know. I remember meeting like August Wilson as a kid and like my brain melting because <laughs> he was uh, doing a play, one of his final plays. They did the first production in Pittsburgh, so I got to meet him at the theater because I used to work there a lot. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> that's fantastic! Yeah, and then like when I lived in New York, I saw him at like a cozy in Midtown and like stared at him from across <laughs> oh one of those little the Pret a Manger cafe yes. type places. Yes, I was there for the free bread samples oh that's a that's so sweet (laughs) and you didn't say anything no 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 i mean i'm so like nervous around famous people that i was in this movie the box with cameron diaz and she was like the first like a-list movie star ever was in a movie with yeah and i was so afraid of her meeting her that i like hid in my trailer and only came to set when they like dragged me there to shoot the scene and she came straight up to me and was like hi i'm cameron it's so nice to meet you i'm so glad you have you here and i was like (laughs) she's so friendly so nice so warm but i was terrified to meet her yeah, I mean, you know, I, I just I think at a certain point because you built up this whole thing, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, they're just you know they want to connect too, and you earned the right to be there. I got and the part. Know, yeah, got the part. I auditioned. You deserve, you deserve yeah, to be there. Sure, you know? but you know, you I'm. I mean, not everyone's as lovely as Cameron Diaz. So that was also like a really lovely like movie star to meet as my first movie star. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it is. You hope most people are nice, but it's a crapshoot. Some of them have issues. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the only thing you can do in those situations is just know that it's n- has nothing to do with you. True. You know, that's just there. Well, that's another great lesson. Yeah. A lot of things have nothing to do with you. Most things <laughs> have, nothing to, have do nothing to do with you. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because I have a friend who um, 
just did an intervention with her brother mm-hmm. and she, you know she was saying like well we we kind of want him to go to AA but he doesn't he doesn't really you know he's not like a god guy mm-hmm. and there's a whole god thing in there and I go you know that scared me away for the longest time and I don't go to AA a, a bunch I don't have anything against it I just I kind of do a thing that I do yeah but but what I came to understand after like almost 15 years of sobriety was like, oh, it doesn't mean I have to believe that there's a guy up on a cloud. Mm-hmm. It's just surrendering yourself to this higher power. The way to translate that is like, oh, I'm not the center of the universe and I don't control everything and I'm relatively insignificant and therefore I don't have to take on the responsibility of yeah. everything. That is another way to translate that of like, you're not the most important thing yeah. in the world. Well, as somebody who grew up as the child of an addict, like the version of that for me was like, I, oh, I'd never had control over my parents' behavior. Right. No matter how much like I was told, oh, you have a special connection to this person. You're the only one they listen to. You can get them to do this or that. It was all just like a very fleeting temporary victory if I ever had one at all. Right. And, and ultimately when I stopped being like, well, if they had loved me enough or they cared about me enough or they, you know, they would have done this or that and been like, oh, I had no control in this situation. Oh, what a relief. Like, right. I don't have to try and like puppet master the people in my life. No. That's not my job. No. It, it frees up a lot of time. And it's also not a great idea. It's, <laughs> it's not. not a great plan because you You're can't. You're wa- wondering why my relationships aren't going so well. <laughs> People are becoming resentful of me. It's like, and I'm just trying to do my job. You right. know, the job I was given as a kid, like to, to, trying to do my job well, be could control. Yes. Um, yeah. To oversee the letter opening yeah. and the, yes. the parent counseling. Yeah. Well, that's hard for kids. You know, my parents didn't get along. When, I mean, I don't. I don't really have any, I can't even, maybe one memory of my parents being happy together. Oh my God, you have one? One. I have none. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's very, it was very temporary. Yeah. It was always like, oh, they're going to start fighting. They're going to start arguing. Yeah. And it wasn't, and in the last couple of months when my dad was still alive, they hadn't talked in 25 years. Wow. And for some reason, well, for various reasons, but uh, really short, long story is that, uh, my mother had a premature birth. The child died after a couple days. He was buried in Kentucky. We had not lived there since I was a kid. In the last year of my dad's life, for some reason, he got this very crazy, like this, I want to move that, I want to move him yeah. to Memphis and bury him in Memphis where, like, I will, we will, I will be buried. Yeah. And so it got my parents talking again after 25 years and we went to Memphis and they, my dad, like they exhumed the body and he drove it to, you know, uh, to Memphis and, and my parents were there and we had this little ceremony where they reburied him. And I, and I was so, when my parents were around each other, immediately I was right back to being a kid. Like, uh, Oh, like my dad just made a joke and my mom just made a joke, but are they going to start? I don't know. And of course they didn't. Yeah. But I couldn't take myself out of it. And then like three months later he died wow. and then ended up being buried right next to where they moved that the baby. I mean, it's just the fucking craziest. You just, you can't, it's, it's hard to remind yourself like, Oh, that's, you know, it's almost not real mm-hmm. because it was, it's a child trying to understand the world. And so there's a lot of superstition and fantasy that comes along with that. Cause you just don't know enough. Yeah. Like you said, brain, 
brain's kind of mushy still. Your brain is still very mushy. <laughs> and that's and that's what, you know, like when you start to get a little older, it's trying to take advantage of an of a non-mushy brain. Until it starts to remush. <laughs> great window. <laughs> The, yeah, the remushioning happens, yeah. and, uh, you know, in, this, in your sixties or seventies, it's like time to get mushy again. Let's mush this shit up, you know. Let's just get this shit back to back to its mushy original state. But in general, you feel do you feel pretty good. Are you excited about stuff? Yeah, I am. I mean, like I, you know, these movies that I've got coming out, I actually I'm excited about them. Ibiza, Ibiza, Ibiza. You know, we say Ibiza because we're you know. <laughs> Americans in the movie and already like people on Instagram are like it's Ibiza you're Ibiza. saying it wrong I'm like I know I know but we say Ibiza in the US yes I'm sorry I'm so sorry I know that it should be Ibiza I just want people <laughs> to know that I know but you know um, I have to say it doesn't sound right coming out of the American tongue it it doesn't. It sounds. But I understand to a Spaniard listening to a bunch of Americans say Ibiza. That sounds strange. Well, we live in Los Angeles. Oh, right. We oh, live in Chris. Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yes, Ibiza. Um, yeah, and you know, I and I doing the play. I found really fulfilling. You know. Um, just as on a pure like acting level to get to do a play again. And so I'm just trying to like do things in my life that will make me happy, which is like a new operating principle for me. That is a crazy one to, that is a really interesting operating principle because it, when you start doing it, it feels obvious, Mm -hmm. but it does, but there is also that kind of epiphany moment where you're like, Oh, I guess I could pursue things that make me happy as a goal yes like i am deserving of happiness so therefore that's the the underlying yeah that's the foundation work that has to be done yeah i'm at the building blocks um (laughs) of my emotional life um and i'm hoping to build a shed soon um (laughs) the shed of happiness um yeah so yeah that's sort of where i'm at right now but i feel good i feel good yeah yeah, it's like, a, you know, a, I woke up a couple months ago and I was like, I am in a liminal state. And I was like, I think I know what that means. But my unconscious was like, liminal, you're in a liminal space right now. And I like Googled it to make sure that my, I knew my conscious brain knew what my unconscious brain. And it was like an in-between space. And I was like, that's where I am. I feel it. Um, and that means like new possibility. So, right. Yeah. Those are Those are the, you know, for anyone who's kind of going through the... I don't, I just feel stuck. I don't know. I can't, everything just feels like I'm dropping everything and I don't know what's what, you know, like those, those get excited. Well, that's the thing that I think I just so loved when I got community because it gave my life structure for the first time as an adult. Because up until that point, I worked sporadically. They were always very short jobs. I never knew if I was going to get another one or where it could be. And then for months at a time, I knew where I was expected, you know, Monday through Friday. And it made me feel at ease. But it's like, how can I self-soothe so I don't need, like, a job that expects me somewhere Monday through Friday to feel okay? Right. Did you figure that out? No, that's what I'm still working on. I told you I'm still at the, the I'm still in the foundation of my shed of happiness. Um, there are no walls yet, but I like I've recognized it as a goal that I can't if I stop like relying on external things to give me that sense of comfort. Right. You know, that's a more lasting thing because it's not so like career external goals. You know, affirmations from other people dependent. 
Um, I I ran into you. You know this. I'm just saying this for people. <laughs> I ran into you. A what if weeks I ago. don't remember? <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> I did. No, we talked uh, at a at a at a delightful sushi restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I never. You know what's interesting is that I. I don't know if this is interesting at all, but I don't know. I feel like I'm still not great in running into people's situations because I never know like. My instinct is just to start talking, uh-huh. but then I realize, like, well, maybe you have to be someplace, <laughs> and so I kind of feel like I say half sentences because I don't know, like, yeah, am I intruding or am I not intruding, or is, it, or is the thing just supposed to be like, hey, good to see you, hey, good to see you, yeah, and then that's the exchange. No, and I never want. I wanted to say hi, but I also didn't want to like interject myself into your meal. You know, it's like I, it's a weird like company town thing. You know, where yeah. like so often you just go about your day and you're running into people you kind of know or people you worked with or whatever yeah but i was you know i thought you did really well anytime in you want and you know like listen i'm any anytime you want you're not intruding okay great you can certainly i'm just gonna sit right down i think what time. i was expecting <laughs> what are we having did you just eat i'm eating again your wife is like what have you done <laughs> no she's still she would be like pull up a chair she's like, lovely you know, she's great she's really the three great. of us spent time together at a baby shower a few years ago do you remember that oh yeah, yeah. that's right yeah i remember that yes. <laughs> Oh my god! I had almost forgotten that. I mean, without going into too much detail, it was a very surreal baby shower. It was shower. surreal. Yeah, yeah, in a fun, in a, in fun, a fun way. way. Yeah. yeah, in a really fun but way. But we found each other sort of in the corner of people being like, "Can you believe we're here?" <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing too is that when you find other, you know, when you when you find other like comedy people, like I always just make a beeline for the comedy people because oh, yeah. I don't know how to interact with normies. I, I cornered Josh Radner at a party years ago because I knew no one else and like I'm sure he did not want to talk to me for as long as I made him talk to me. But Corner us at any event yes, you ever, you you ever see us at. Yeah, it's so intimidating. You know, and when I first moved to LA, I knew almost no one here. So I, and I would go to these parties by myself all the time. And so I would just latch on to whatever person I knew. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, sorry, Josh, for having, like, <laughs> talked to you for, like, three hours at an in-style viewing party. Well, I think, you know what? I'm glad he finally has some closure on that. I know, I know. I'm making my amends been right the now. Things holding, the thing holding him back. <laughs> finally! <laughs> if Josh isn't listening to this, will someone just let him know? Please Just let him, him know that it's all, or, it's all yeah. good. Just, to, just send him this clip. I'm sorry. I realize it was weird. It was about my insecurity about being at the party. And it's just, like, it's just Josh with, like... With tears streaming down his face as he pulls, like, Gillian Jacobs in style apology off his vision board. It was like, it finally. I didn't think it was going to happen. Finally. Don't hope on that one. Yeah, don't ever give up hope on your visions. No. I think what I was trying to tell you at the restaurant is that my friend Will Wheaton and I have a longstanding argument of which he is wrong about the pronunciation of GIF. And I like to use your full name. Yes. It's like Gillian Jacobs. That is the correct mm-hmm. hard G, soft J. Yeah, is the correct is the correct way. You know, Will. Um, I should probably shouldn't tell you this, but most people say Jillian. I'm sure they do. <laughs> yeah. Lydia, Lydia's sister is a Jillian with a G. I know. I know. Bane of my existence. <laughs> but well, maybe I'm the bane of her existence. I don't know. I feel like but she probably gets called Jillian and not Gillian. She probably doesn't get called Gillian. No one gets called Gillian. Even Gillians don't get called Gillian. <laughs> <laughs> Even Vince Gilligan never. Yes, he's a, he's a. I'm oh. sure a lot of people are like Vince Gilligan. Oh, I'm sure. And I get Jillian Jacobs. <laughs> Because <laughs> they just their tongue just it gets just, into the. I think people just look at my name and they're like what? 
Yeah. Is yeah, I've gotten or or one time someone said to me, Gillian, is that short for Gilliana? What? Like, what? So it's what? an abbreviation. A long name is just an abbreviation for a and longer also name. And looking at my driver's license. So I thought you had to have your full name on your driver's license. I feel like that person is an alien <laughs> in a human skin that's just trying to fit in. Call Seti. <laughs> they say, is it short for Gileana, take me to your leader? <laughs> yes. Was that part of it? Oh, that's... The, oh, okay. Yeah, I got so angry at the Gileana part that I stopped <laughs> listening. Now it's all making sense. Gileana sounds like a Jane Austen book, by the way. Yes. Are you... Did Was it ever explained? Did your parents... Like, what was the hard G? Like, what did they... It was truly that my mom saw it in a book and for whatever reason thought it was Gillian mm-hmm. and not Jillian and obviously had never met anyone with the name to know it was Jillian and so just named me Gillian. I, she probably saw Gilligan's Island mm-hmm. and saw the hard G and was like, that's how you say that. Yeah, perhaps. Maybe that was it. Yeah. In a pantsuit. Ugh. In a pantsuit. <laughs> Sensible flat. Yeah. Yeah. It was as simple as that. She saw it in a book. And that was it. And that was it. And now it's my name. Uh, you know what? I think it makes it special. Thank you so much. It makes it special. Is, is fun. And it's also the correct way to say GIF, Will yeah. Wheaton, um, just for future reference. Is there anything else that you want to plug or promote or besides uh, Ibiza and Ibiza. the finals and then love? Yeah, love season three. Um, no, I feel like that's it right now. I don't know. Um, go watch my documentary. It's old, but you could go watch it. It's still up on 538.com. It's called The Queen of Code. Um, I got to think of something else. No, that's about it. I hope you make more stuff, and I hope you make more of these documentaries. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's good, and I should – and. I should talk to you about. Uh, I should talk to you about this. I'm doing a show at NBC that is like a science and technology show. Really? Yes. Oh, we should talk. We should talk about this. Absolutely. Especially if you. I don't know. Just seems like there's. Yeah. Seems like there's something there. And I feel so. <laughs> That's a sentence. I feel so happy to be here. I'm going to start saying that. God, I feel so. so. As, as a form of agreement. Oh I feel so. You feel so what? Period. I feel so. <laughs> you feel so. Oh, Thank you for feeling so with us. Thank you. Enjoy your burrito. The end. <laughs> Hashtag I feel so. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. (laughs) 